Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Go ahead. I'm not, do I don't, I do not wait at your beck and call. You, oh, oh, Jonathan. Okay. Get ready There's for little, some awesome. See, Jonathan, he's been waiting time. two months to do that. He's a little fussy because he, he didn't want to do the podcast last month. <laughs> and he, you are not, so he, I, I did the work. He, I listened to, you know, 50% of just, pure vanity of what well, i mean like your guests were there and they were great but for the most part i listened to, to mm. the, the vanity i waited through it and then what there's no there's no vanity this is about giving the people what they want okay so last month there was no podcast um i've heard some comments about that and um, we're trying to ameliorate that right now so we it was the holidays jonathan was with his family um I was with my family, and we just we couldn't make it work. You were and going to New York. That's why. No, I wasn't. Yeah, we were gonna do, we were gonna do the podcast. We had like three or four options, and then you're like, actually, I can only do tomorrow afternoon at one. Or I, we can't I, do it. I had one to one fifteen. I had a fifteen minute wrap up <laughs> podcast that we could do, and you just do any whatever. Regardless, we're we're back. We're gonna do. I listen to all the those best podcasts one. driving to Arkansas. You know my. I'm starting to nod off as I'm trying to drive. You were driving to Arkansas. That clearly was the best part of the trip, was hearing those podcasts. Let's not act like it's not. (laughs) It's pretty. That is pretty driving. Mm. I live in Abilene. Driving to Arkansas is pretty driving. (laughs) Okay. Now, John, I'm sorry. I'm giving you a hard time. I I made a, a resolution a pre-New Year's resolution based on my first podcast this last month uh, that I was going to be nicer to you. Because I feel like I've, I understand more what it's like to be you every time we're in this conversation. Because when I was talking to, to Carlins, I felt, man, I am definitely not the coolest person in the room right now. And I realized, man, that's how Jonathan probably felt every time we've done this. And I've never been considerate of that. So I'm sorry. I'm going to be nicer to you. Oh, what a chocolate-covered turd of a of a resolution you've made. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I just want you to know I'm going to I'm going to be nicer from now Thanks. on. Thanks. I I can't wait to see how long this resolution lasts. So, it was a good month. I felt like this was a different kind of month than most. Really? Yeah. How so? What, how so? Uh, well, like James Martin was a guest you'd had on once before, but um the other two were brand new guests. And mm-hmm. kind of dipping into different streams. Although, you know, Hillsong, you've already, you have a relationship with them. I had never heard of Carl before. Hold on. You've never heard of... Never. You, you haven't heard of, hey, this is Justin Bieber's pastor. Like, you didn't... You've never heard of, like, Kevin Durant's pastor. Like, none of those people you've... No, yeah. I mean, I know about Hillsong New York, and I know that those people go to that church... Um, I know about Brian Houston, and I know about Joel Houston, um, but I didn't know about who was, you know, I basically thought, I even, I wrote a blog like a couple of years ago on that church, baptizing Justin Bieber, and. Yeah, that's, yeah, that literally was him who baptized Justin Bieber in Tyson Chandler, the right. then center for the Knicks bathtub. Yeah, like he's been on Comedy Central. They made fun of him Nuh-uh. about like how he's trying to be so cool. Like he obviously was 
in on the bit, but they were making fun of how he was really cool. And yeah, like what I, was what what show on Comedy Central? Or, uh, the Daily Show. It was a Daily Show bit. When when I first heard of Carl Lentz, it was probably five or six years ago. He was on the Relevant podcast, and I knew, oh, that's the cool pastor. Like that just was, yeah. Like, oh yeah, you know the cool guy up in New York. And so I heard that he was going to be on the Relevant podcast, and so I listened to probably five or ten minutes of it. And he came across like really humble and down to earth, and he was very dismissive of the praise being about him or what they were doing. And really, like, there's a lot of churches that are doing really great stuff, and we just happen to be one church that has gotten more attention or something to that extent. And so that was my initial impression, like, oh, this is kind of a kind of classic kind of interaction where you expect someone with that platform to be very, I don't know, um, like you. You don't expect. Oh God, I'm sorry. Like me, yeah, just. I don't know what that means. Uh, like he would have so same hairstyles. Maybe? Well, de- that is that is definitely one piece of it. Y'all's bit on uh, having to have a haircut like every Alabama fan. I thought I, I laughed out loud at that. <clears throat> thought- that that was the funniest part of the. And the funny thing is, the next guest, Dave Barnes, I think has Bama bangs. I think he does. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I loved it when you said. Uh, so if you had to get an Alabama haircut for someone to get saved. He just, that person wouldn't go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to draw a line somewhere. I think everyone understands you, you can't win every person to the Lord. And um, he knows who he I is. Know he, he's I know exactly the kind of haircut he's talking about, the kind of guy he's talking about. I mean, I just grew up with yeah. him. Yeah. Um, so, I, honestly, I went into that podcast expecting not to like him. Mm. You know, I was going to be nice and hospitable on here and, you know, look for whatever diamond in the rough I could find between you and him going back and forth about your cosmetics. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are we expecting not to like him? Um, be, because cool church, there's something, you know, and, and you, there's a, there's a little bit of that, like in his thing on, uh, I, I thought I was resigned to having to be miserable at church uh, when he was talking about before he went to Hillsong Bible College. And then he went to Hillsong and he was like, oh, church can be like this. And uh, I mean, there, was a li- there was a little bit of cool church in there, but for the most part... Wait, when you, hold on, when you're saying cool church, you, what do you mean by that? Um, I feel like often when people... And let's just take Hillsong outside of this, because I, I mean, I love Hillsong, I love their worship, I love that they're reaching people that I can't reach, and um, that's sincere. That's not, um, and that's not about like people who are over six feet tall. <laughs> I can't reach stature. You just can't touch. Them. <laughs> oh gosh, you. No, I just clarifying that that's not what he meant. I was yeah. trying to help you by cleaning that up. So they're reaching people that you and I couldn't connect to. That's right. And um, and I, I feel like often, though, there's a, there's a lot of churches that really, really want to be Hillsong. And they, they want to be cool church, and they put way more emphasis on the word cool than they do the word church. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, there's there's just this sense of like we're not your grandma's church, and like I I really want to be connected to my grandmother's church. You know I want I want to be a 
church of many generations and, and not cool rebels against the generation of the past. And, yeah. and I do think that one of the casualties of cool church is intergenerational kind of fellowship. And um, I'd be interested to hear how that looks at, at Hillsong, how intergenerational fellowship functions. Yeah. What does that look yeah. like? And so what I think, Hillsong teaches some of us is that church doesn't just have to be for grandma. That's and some right. People that's think, right. There's a generation that that's the only one that we cater to, and okay, it's important for for that generation to feel like we matter, we're valued, and there need to be things that speak to that. But it can't be the only generation, right? Otherwise, I mean, that's not what church is supposed to be. And clearly, the life cycle of a church that only has that age demographic is not very positive. It's not going to be going up and to the right very long. You know, it's we see this all the time. I mean, me and you have been in plenty of churches. You walk in and you're like, what year is it here? Mm-hmm. And it's because that, that, you know, older saints didn't do the hard work of passing on the gospel <laughs> to the next generation. But <clears throat> I think a lot of church plants that happen today um, are sadly only going to last a generation they're not going to be intergenerational now. And so they're not going to be intergenerational then. And they're going to, you know, in, in 2050, it's not going to be cool church anymore. It's going to be, but that's like, that's 30 years down the road. The likelihood of most churches, I mean, the church I'm a part of is 40 years old. Your church is 90 substantial. Yeah. 90 years old, 30 years. If, if your church looks the same way it does right now, it's not going to be around either, probably. No, that, I mean, every- that's true, but what, here's the point. Institutions matter because they pass on a pattern of life from one generation to the next. And if mm-hmm. your church is planted that speaks just to the spirit of the age currently, which is what a cool church would be, um, without, without some like, there are some things that don't feel like they belong in this time, yeah. then you're not passing, you're not, you're not receiving a tradition. You know, the word tradition just means to trade, to hand off from one generation to the next. And anyway, all that to say, like I went into that podcast thinking that's what this was going to be. And it, it wasn't largely, it was, you know, I, I love the stuff that he was talking about. They're doing with black lives matter and how one of the organi- organizers goes, goes there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love, you know, the way he kind of res- responded to uh, what it looks like to have a public face talking about when you ha- get asked questions on the view about abortion and, and how you try to answer that with both grace and truth. And I mean, I, I was just really impressed. Okay. What Enneagram number do you think he is? Three. Yeah. I, I thought 100% of three. I thought his thing about when he went on the, the view or whatever show that was, and his statement was, "I knew who they wanted me to be, and I can be that." Like that's a yeah, that's very that's a th- that's a, the superpower of three is like I know who who I'm supposed to be in this room, and I, I had this conversation with Wade uh, Wade Hodges. Uh, his statement was, "Carl isn't where he is right now by accident, and his ability to float in multiple circles and influence and be encouraging it's not a it's not by chance. Like he, he knows." who he needs to be to, to reach these people and to, to, to perform in the best sense of the word, to perform uh, on that stage. And I think he's really gifted at it. Yeah. And I left that conversation going, man, I'm a, I'm a fan of Carl Lentz. I'm rooting for him. Yeah, me and, too. 
I'm glad uh, I'm glad he's saying the things that he's saying specifically about race. Mm-hmm. And so my question to him was, how does the Black Lives Matter comment land in, in your church? And his statement was, like, there's some random person in Alabama who's sending me an email about how it's terrible. But his local congregation seems like it's very receptive to that message. Yeah, you think and so. I, I, if you think young, diverse New York audience, that sort of comment is not going to be received with the pushback that a more Southern congregation will have when they're going to respond with the blue, or all lives matter, blue lives matter kind of right, right. rhetoric back and forth. Yeah. And, and so I was curious to see, like how, how that comment would land. And it's interesting that we can hear a comment like that and imagine it in our context, mm-hmm. but in his context, it's, it's going to be far easier to be heard. I wonder vice versa, like what are things that in more of a Bible Belt environment we're able to say it's far easier to be received than like, for example, like the abortion comment when he's on right. the view. Yeah. I mean, that's exact opposite. It does not take a lot of bravery to stand up in Abilene, Texas against abortion. You know, yeah. it, it does to stand up and say black lives matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah. there, there is some context stuff there. I tell you the part of the conversation that I thought, was the most interesting and kind of related to what I was talking about with Cool Church is Bible college versus seminary. Yep. What'd you think? Yep. Um, In the back of your mind, first, did you know me and you were going to be talking about this when you were when you got off? Yeah. On that? Y- usually, any conversation I have, I think I wonder what Jonathan thinks about this right now. Like whether it's podcast or not. No, like I can always, see that. Like uh, Lindsay when, critiquing you. Spoiler yeah. alert! I always agree with that. See, again, what would I do if, if I was a Carl situation? Okay, I'm going to be nice. That's okay, Jonathan. I'm really <laughs> proud of you. Uh, I'm, I'm here for you, my brother. And he, he had to correct me when I said Hill College United Bible Leader. I, like, I had no clue what the word, like the name of that organization was. Yeah. When we were talking about the MDiv, like I went to seminary, got an MDiv. His use of that language was just as clumsy as my use of the language to describe Hill College Bible Institute, whatever it's called. And so you can see how uh, how our circles don't even interact at all. Right. And I think you see that played out on, you know, down the road on other issues. But oh, yeah, yeah it's just, what, what was your, th- what were you thinking? Well, I was thinking, um, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking a person who goes to seminary probably can't reach Justin Bieber. Yeah. And a person who, who um, goes to Bible college, um, might not know what they're reaching them with. That that's a crude way of saying it. Let me let me try it again. Like the reason I think, and it's the same. I I I took this with Christian churches and churches of Christ. Churches of Christ became you know went liberal arts, and we became you know universities, not colleges, and people what it looked like to be a successful leader in Churches of Christ wound up being uh, go get your, your PhD or something and mm-hmm. teach Bible or, or, or have a PhD or D-men and, you know, teach, but with, you know, like all the, you have all the, the bag of tricks that seminary people do and you basically treat church like you're imparting information or, or things like that. That's, yep. that's a caricature, but, you know, I think there's enough truth there that people had... Some people come to mind with that. Christian churches 
went off and started planning churches and they were i mean blowing up they could they knew all these different practical church group church growth ways of you know things like uh homogenous church homogenous uh so they would target like specific demographics of people because that's a church growth thing but you lose something about church and and so this is why like the de- the Seminaries and Bible colleges, I think, need a little more dose of each other yep. on a regular basis. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think I said the comment in the podcast that I, the institution can't teach you how to run, or the, the academy can't teach you how to run a church. Mm-hmm. And churches can teach you how to, how to run churches. And Bible colleges, the church teaching you how to run a church. And I think the academy has an important place where it teaches you things that uh, the church doesn't have always the bandwidth to get, to get for you. And I, I wish there's ways that we could interact and learn from each other more, but I don't know exactly what, would, what that would look like. Um, but you're right. I mean, you, you think of the circles of people that we run in. It's this kind of education. And his friends, from what it sounds like, are are same background as him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, what else? Um, all right, anything else on Carl? Uh, I really, I really like them, and I uh, misjudged from a distance. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry that you're so judgmental. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, you know what's funny is that he uh, he was a little late for the podcast because he was doing something with um, what is the guy's name? Charlemagne the God, I think, is what the guy goes by, and he's a Charlemagne the what? Yeah, the God. I I don't understand the name. It seems pretty peculiar name but the guy is a, um, a radio host for uh, the breakfast club in new york it's a syndicated radio show that's in like 60 markets and he's up there because he's a celebrity and so because of that he's able to talk jesus and do things that i'm not invited to do and so i'm i'm super grateful for someone like him who's having the voice he's doing and from what i hear from my sources is we hear a lot about his celebrity stuff that he interacts with and the, the people he knows. But from what I hear, the majority of his celebrity stuff in the circles that he runs in, you and I will never hear about. And so we hear like the tip of the iceberg, but I think there's, there's even more going on. So, How anyway, quickly would your soul rot away if you got a job like that? I don't, I don't think it would change at all. <laughs> yeah. You're, it's just barely holding on as it is. Oh, come on, man. Come on. Okay. Let's go to the next one, uh, Father Jim Martin. Um, so yeah, I literally finished the podcast with Carl, uh, took an Uber over uh, to right next to like Rockefeller Center. I think he's on like America and 50th or something like that. And uh, right next to where like the Christmas lights were going up. Yeah. And so it was like ridiculous traffic. And then I went up and I uh, got to hang out with James Martin. So it was not a bad afternoon. That sounds amazing. And Kristen Powers walked in on y'all. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was up there for something else. And because I was late, she was supposed to meet with uh, Father Jim after our podcast, but the podcast got pushed back. So she just jumped in in the middle of it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. She's good friends with uh, uh, Jonathan Merritt. And so right. I knew of her because I had dinner with Jonathan the night before and somehow that got brought up because they're doing a new podcast together. But. Yeah, are you, did you are you familiar with her work? Yeah, with Fox I've, News or CNN. Yeah, see, I've read some of her stuff before. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was really cool that. So what? This this book's been out for months, right? Yeah, it came out this summer, and I had. It was a Harper One book, and so we had talked about doing one, and then it just kind of fell through the cracks, and I was like, oh yeah, let's do this now, uh, when I was in New York. Um, but here's what I was fascinated by. It's the Catholic Church wrestling with what does it look like to interact with the LGBTQ community, and obviously that's, I'm, I'm not Catholic, it's not the same questions that I have, but hearing their conversations about it, I thought, let's, I wonder how much of that jumps over to where we are. Yeah. Uh, it felt like just about everything. Yeah. Didn't it? I mean, is there, the, I didn't feel no. like there was any, um, I've, I've always no. liked the Catholic, um, I've always liked Catholic, like, uh, social stuff because it's really hard to pin them down on, are you liberal or conservative? Which is the way I think the Christian gospel is. <clears throat> hmm. You know? And so, uh, I, I always like listening to what, what it is they think about, you know, for example, like poverty uh, or, you know, the liberation theologians were Catholic for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and anyway. Yeah, I, it's I, what's weird to me is, so what he's arguing for is treating homosexuality as a, as a sin that, that is uh, treated the same as every other sin. But... Um, Hold on one second. Thank you. And that's a assume- weird part for somebody to walk into your office. <laughs> You're doing a podcast. Like- yeah, yeah. I, I, whatever. Anyway, whatever. Okay. So what, what was I saying? He's arguing like let's treat homosexuality as a sin and treat it like every other sin, which is a pretty traditional view, right? But he's received so much backlash for that, which I don't fully understand. Where that's coming from? Uh, okay, so the traditional Catholic position on um, like gay relationships are that it is a distortion of friendship. That like gay relationships are a distortion of the kind of of that, and then it, it, it's a so it's actually kind of some deeper theology than than what you hear in like evangelical circles and. And things like that. So it might, it might be that. Hmm. But the, cate- the catechesis has a line about unjust discrimination. And that's what he was saying. Like, even our catechesis right. says we shouldn't unjustly discriminate against this issue compared to any other issue. And he, he actually changed my mind on something <laughs> on that podcast in him talking about, uh, and I, I've done this, you know, you and I have talked about like sexual ethics stuff a lot with the series we just did. The, um, but the, the connection between like homosexuality and divorce and like his stuff on when he said, you know, Jesus straight up says, don't divorce. Not that you shouldn't, but that it's not really even possible. You can't really disentangle Mm -hmm. your life from that other person. Um, and then he said, but when we, we talk about it. When straight people talk about divorce, we, we want to give context and nuance and all this stuff. But when it comes to, you know, like gay relationships, it's no, it's the letter of the law. And um, I realized, okay, that is, I believe in white privilege. Um, I have never really considered straight privilege before. 
And that is, that is a great example of that. Because as a preacher, pastorally, I will give more, um, like, context and nuance. Because I know a lot of people are divorced. And, you know, even though I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to try to be faithful to Jesus' teaching about divorce. Um, I'm, I'm probably yeah. a little more graceful than I am on stuff yeah. for sexual minorities. And I wonder if it's because, let's go with the 5% number. Let's say 5% of population is somehow affiliated in the LGBTQ community. Somehow. 5%. Which means 95% of people are straight, and the majority of them get married, and the divorce rate for most marriages, let's just say it's 50%, which gets tossed around a lot as a common number. So you have roughly 45, 8% of the population that probably has been divorced or somehow connected to divorce and you have 5% that's in the LGBTQ community. And so it's very easy for us to go real hard on a issue that maybe we don't have personal connection to. Maybe we can't ever imagine ourselves in that situation. But an issue like divorce, which is far more prevalent, uh, we'll have far more grace for. I, and I think, I think that's the glowing inconsistency that people see right. of, of our sexual ethic and go, oh, okay, so we can hold straight people to this very low bar, which doesn't live up to what Jesus says, but people in the LGBTQ community, we're going to hold them to even a higher standard, and that's somehow fair? Like, yeah, I, I, I think that's... I, I do think that there's a lot of, um, what he said, homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be careful with that because... But I, I do think homophobia is is a part of of this in the sense maybe homophobia is not the right word maybe it's just like um, it's not fear of gay people as much as it is um, they're just no maybe it is homophobia no. um, well if homophobia and, is like not treating someone like a human being and not seeing them as your equal right I, I think that has to be part of it. And I, I think if we do theology from that place versus uh, having, you know, friends and family, it's it's why, honestly, there's been such a big generational divide here. Because you and I grew up with people that were gay, that were that are friends. And, and they might not have come out to the world in high school or college, but they have now, and we know them, and we love them. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of are wrestling with, the words of Paul and yep. different it's, stuff from, with, from a different place, I guess. And the same way that divorce became far more prevalent 40, that's 50 right. years ago. And that's when, right. When elders' kids started getting divorced, that's when we readjusted our interpretation of Jesus' teaching. And yeah, I, I don't know. Here's, here's the thing. Do we, I mean, is that what love requires? Is, is it to re- reinterpret like for the day we're in or is it to say, no, this is what love is calling us to. It's a, um, yeah. Jesus is Jesus is trying to give us something, not take something away. If, if he calls us to lay down, you know, the d- divorce as an option or sex, uh, se- our sexuality, then it's because he's trying to give us something even greater. Well, yeah, I mean, if you assume that God is for you and God is love, then right, whatever. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, so when when Jesus says don't divorce, I don't think Jesus is saying that because he wants everyone to be miserable. Right, like I, right, I, right. Yeah. So I, but still, the call to have w- there needs to be consistency with our sexual ethic, and that involves heterosexual sexuality, 
and LGBTQ, just let's be consistent and let's treat each other with love and grace and let's not, to use the catechesis language, let's not unjustly discriminate against someone. I know when one Ross, of... Go ahead. Ross Dutat. That's it. I was going to say I, when we were... Uh, that book, Bad Religion, mm-hmm. when he talks about um, the locust years, he talks about the sexual revolution and he said it was because of the sexual revolution where like which decimated the Christian sexual ethic with you know like um, like eighty percent of annulments in the Catholic Church happen in America eighty percent worldwide wow. and um, he was just saying <clears throat> it was after that after several decades of that or a couple of decades of that that um, gay people are people who were you know had had leaning towards that sexual orientation started being like well if if y'all aren't going to follow this ex- this sexual ethic then we aren't either hmm. and um his point was you know it demand the christian sexual ethic actually does demand more from gay and lesbian brothers and sisters than it does straight people and they were noticing that straight people weren't honoring the things jesus called them to do with their sexuality yeah yeah i don't think it's yeah, I don't think there's a question that it. If you were going to try to map it out, like who has a, a harder road to, to to navigate through, I think obviously LGBTQ community would have a harder one with the conservative traditional reading on sexual ethic. Yeah, I, I think that it's been since I went from high school to now, like 20 years. That seems like a really long time. Let me clarify: I left high school when I was 16, so I'm not 38. I am 36. I just want to. That's a difference. Um, <laughs> 38 seems really old. I just want to say I'm 36, not 38, for the record. Um, But in the 20 years since I left high school, the attitude on homosexuality has vastly changed in our culture. And I think in the same way that we've grown up in a time in which you didn't have cell phones and now everyone has a smartphone, the generations after us, their experience of homophobia being a norm, I think is probably not even going to be there in the same way it was for us. And so I think like our conversation about this will be different going forward. Uh, in 30 years, the way the culture is going to feel about it compared to what, what we feel about it right now, I think it's even going to be different. And yeah. Anyway, hey, one other thing in the conversation with uh, James Martin I want to talk to you about. So when he was talking about uh, birth control, which I know with all the kids you have, you clearly have never even heard of that. Um, but his thing about, Catholic Church says it's wrong to, to have birth control, which you and I have discussed this before. Um, but he says we leave it up to the individual to interpret through their conscience. What do you think about him using conscience as an interpretive tool for God's will in someone's life? Uh, oh, I didn't see that. That was a left turn at the last second. I thought gotcha. we were talking about birth control. You did. I, f- I don't really, I mean, I kind of passed I that. mean, that's, that's like Paul, right? I mean, that's Paul. The weaker in brother and sister and the stronger brother and sister. Like, What do you mean? Uh, well, in Romans, Paul is talking about to people who who can eat the meat that had been sacrificed to idol and idols, and you could get it at a discount. Um, the weaker and stronger brother and sister. I, I think you know. I do think conscious is often the way that God is going to speak to and guide us, and and that you know not every thing God calls people to do is an absolute for all people. Mm-hmm. So. There, I think there's something to that. Um, and, and okay, let's step back from the 
the birth control, but like the bigger issue of like your conscience being the interpreter. Well, okay, a conscience is formed, right? I mean, like if you if you're if you grow up in a tribe of cannibals, you're not going to be disturbed by dinner by the time you're thirty, right? It's formed. It's socially conditioned, and so I think to Catholics. Or to you know people who have been spiritually formed mature Christians, then I would say, yeah, that's a very good guiding tool. But to you know to just, I mean, I, okay, I'm thinking of a conversation I had last week with a college student who was telling me what her conscience told her to do, and I was thinking that's a horrible decision. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. I mean, it. it yeah, if hear about this young woman would have recognized that for the horrible decision it was. Yeah. On the other hand, everyone is interpreting through their own discernment and their own wisdom is influencing how they understand. Like th- this is the the Wesleyan quadrilat- quadrilateral or the hermeneutical spiral. Look at us pulling out our nerdy mm-hmm. seminary stuff right now. Okay, I don't want to be included in that. Um, the four things <laughs> you're very much included in that the Tr- Wesleyan quadrilateral. Okay, I was getting to the four things, like the this whatever, man. Don't be Carl. I thinks quadrilateral is something you do in football. He does not know what the Wesleyan quadrilateral is, right? Why? Why he might? Why would you have to judge him like I'm that? Not, man? I'm not throwing him under the bus. I'm saying this is what seminary does. It gets you to think like. In terms like this. First of all, he's a basketball fan, not a football fan. So I don't, I don't know. Um, anyway. That- he visited all three New York Giants uh, wide receivers in the hospital. Well, who hasn't? I think, he, I think he's a fan of football, okay, too. Okay, whatever. But he also said he roots for the Browns, which means he's not that much of a football Does fan. Does he? Because he has a friend who plays for him. Whatever. Anyway. What? He said in the podcast, you need to go back and listen closely. The point is, like, the way that historically church has understood something, scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit, and then your own um, logic or reason, like, all four of those things make up this quadrilateral. Right. All, and, and so I think your own reason is another way to say discernment, because none of us engage with any of those four things logic, history, Holy Spirit, and scripture without having those things be filtered through my own life, my own, my, own, right. my own experience. And if we don't want to say our conscience is interpreting for us, I think we're being dishonest because everyone's doing it. But I think you need to be aware that you need to lean into other sources because your conscience is not always going to give you the right thing to say or do. Right. One of the things that I, I try to, uh, I don't know how to, the best way to say this. Whenever I disagree with the Bible, I assume the Bible's right and I'm wrong. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's good. And um, there, there's plenty of times I disagree with the Bible. You know, like, I, that doesn't make sense or, you know, I, w- I wish it didn't say that. Um, but I also, I just, I'm operating under this assumption, and I've been culturally conditioned that this is the wise assumption, is that I am small and my reasoning power is limited Agree like with both the, of those very strongly. <laughs> and that um, <laughs> your New Year's resolution is crumbling right before our I eyes. was agreeing with you. That's <laughs> Yeah, man, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Justin and so, I Yeah. That's it. Okay. That's, right. 
Okay, we've got a lot. Okay, good. Let's wrap a bow on that. We've got a... We've got Dave Barnes for this month, and then we probably need to look like just a brief cameo of the other podcast from last month that you didn't get to discuss. And so, uh, all that heresy that needs to be there's not untaught. Okay, so obviously, one of the things I like to do is give both sides of issues. And so, Carl Lentz threw out the Bama Banks that he didn't like him. So, you know what I did? I brought in to my house Bama Banks himself, Dave Barnes, because <laughs> he has him, like, and that's okay. I love Dave Barnes. You guys had some serious friendship chemistry going. Sevens. Just put us in the room together. And we, you, Is he a seven? Yeah. No, he's a, I really like that guy. and uh, he, he seemed cool. Yeah. I've. Uh, are you almost a Calvinist? Almost? Are you persuaded? N- no. No. I've got another Calvinist coming up on the podcast next month, but I'm not. I actually like that, man. I think you're broadening your horizons of your podcast, like getting different. What is his name? Jared something. Anyway, I forgot the guy's name. Off to a rocky start. Yeah, I don't know his name. But, okay, so Dave, he's great. I didn't realize he was, um, okay, so here's the thing. Annie said, hey, have Dave on your podcast, Annie F. Downs. And I said, I'm, I'm good with that. And so Dave happened to be in Austin like a week or two later. So we do the podcast. And I was like, man, you're a great dude. And so we talked afterwards. And I was like, oh, you had a song that like Blake, Blake Shelton did. And it was like nominated for a Grammy. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, but good for you, man. Well done. What? What's it like? I, I don't know anything about him other than you know, like the people that he's toured with, Shane and Shane. I know them. Um, I. But I'll tell you this: I knew that I liked this guy a lot when he was talking about Lindsay walking out of the house. Gosh, that was so funny. <laughs> and she was like, <clears throat> what, swearing and, and smoking Virginia Slims? <laughs> the, super with funny. With the windows rolled up. He was. He was so funny. Okay, when we were talking about doing comedy, I thought he had like done some open mic nights, but he does actual like comedy events that hundreds of people go, like show up and pay to go to. So I like, yeah, I get, uh, I get that. He's, he's funny. He's, he's good. Funny text messages yeah. as well. So good on him. He likes a good gif. So I'm, I'm on, on board. Oh with gosh, that's your spiritual gift. Yeah, it is, and so he has it too, which is crazy because those spirits and those gifts even include Calvinists, which speaks to the universality of the message of Jesus. But um, anyway, I've been listening to his Christmas with limited atonement. With limited atonement, I see what you did there. He's got some really good Christmas stuff. We've been listening to it a lot in my house. So there it is, Dave Barnes. Listen to his music. He's good. Anything else on Dave? Uh, I just oh 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 yeah. There's a lot of stuff on Dave. I, don't, I mean, I realize there's a time limit on how much people would be interested in hearing us banter, but uh, the thing that I... Speak for yourself. It sounds like you're on some kind of Star Wars ship when you do that. I'm sorry, I just need to stand up. I need to move my desk. Okay, keep on going. Let's go. Uh, no, I just love the stuff on creativity, about how, like, at first, you know, you put the bucket in and... The well comes up full every time, and then after a while, there's some kind of midlife thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that speaks to my life experience very directly. Yeah. Um, and do you think it's harder for you to write a sermon now than it was ten years ago? It's it's both easier and harder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier in that like I know what it, I know what it takes. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm looking for. I know, uh, but. It's harder in that uh, I feel like I've said everything. Yeah. Part, okay, so it's easier for me now. Part of that is because I just switched and went to a new church. And mm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm like repeating sermons. I'm just saying I'm at a new church that hasn't heard my stuff for years. Um, 
but I do have the feeling of Saturday afternoon going, okay, I'm going to work so hard on something that I'm going to have a headache and feel really bad Sunday night, and I'm just going to be really messed up until Monday morning, Monday afternoon is still going to be bad, and I'll feel normal again Tuesday morning. And I know, like, I'm, I'm going into the well. Like, okay, this is, this is not going to, like, feel good Sunday night when I get home, and Monday I'm going to be dragging because of this. And, mm-hmm. I, like, it's not a surprise. I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm ready. This is going to happen. All right, here we go. And so I, I don't know. Sometimes I think that, like, I really, I kind of just want to mail it in so I don't feel so bad. Sunday night. <laughs> just like, I, I just want to preserve. Like it's a limited good. Yeah. Like there's only so much energy that you're. But you, yeah, I do. Do you not have like the black dog visit you on Monday? Where you feel ha- um, like a hangover kind of? Like yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's. I definitely feel like sluggish and stuff. Um, do you ride? Are you saying you because you ride on Sunday as well? I stopped doing that a month ago. Because I realize really? I'm just, so I'm working more, I get it done the, the Wednesday before I send the sermon off to my worship guys, and I don't look at it again until Thursday the, um, the week of. And so I don't do anything, because it was just too much. And some guy, um, we're talking to church about, hey, what are you doing? Oh, this is my routine. He goes, is that sustainable? I'm like, well, I've been doing it for two years, but I feel like it's, it's not healthy. Like, I feel like I need to take foot off the, the gas on Sunday night because I do the Sunday night five o'clock service and I think oh right and after that I think it's just it I, I'm not I did that for a year and a half we had that grace mm-hmm. uh thing and we and it, it was a lot harder because you have to come back and you're like on page four mm. and try to get back in the flow that was hard yeah. I could that wasn't sustainable I get for me. I get why Rob Bell stopped doing a Sunday night service because Hmm. the energy all drains and then you have to try to like jump back up Sunday night after you've kind of come down from, but right. here's the thing, like it's, it's my job. I'm grateful to do it and I, whatever. I don't want to complain about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do rapid fire. Okay. Jonathan Martin beginning of November was on talking about getting kicked off Liberty's campus. How about that? Who would have thought? When do you think you're going to get kicked off ACU's campus? Well, that's a goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a goal. I would like it to be for something noble, and I'm waiting for ACU to cross the line on something so I can, you know, storm in there self-righteously mm-hmm. and... Storm? Storming with storming. But right now, that's, that's still a ways away. It's not going to happen. Um, okay, rapid fire for you. What do you want for Christmas? Um... Uh, maybe a new candle for my office. Um, a new candle? candle? Yeah, I like a good candle. Mine are, okay. mine are burning out. What do you want for Christmas? Uh, world peace. Oh. For people who are poor to have food. Mm. I, but go ahead with your wish list, I guess. I want my... Um, I mean, I think it's equally important for my room, my office to smell <laughs> to nice. smell nice. Um, I mean... It's, yeah, I, I've roomed with you for a week. I know, I know that candle is important. Your hygiene is questionable. Oh, come on. That's not... No one looks at me... <laughs> oh, that... No one looks at me and goes, yeah, that guy doesn't have good hygiene. That's not something I think people say about me. Uh, un- they would with the dreadlock pictures. Huh? No. But with the dreadlock pictures. I'm sorry, but yeah. I, I would have those again if I could. But I want to be married. All right, Jonathan. Um, what would... 
if you were going to suspend yourself from a side of a building, like our friend Jared McKenna, what is the last thing that you experienced that would make you do something like that this year? In 2017, what was the thing that's most likely to make you protest from the side of a building? Is this a serious question? No. Any more than your Christmas no. list is? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, that guy's super impressive. Cause I and thought he has dreadlocks. I that, <laughs> yeah, that's true. He can pull them off. I thought when I was listening to that, there's no way I could do this because I'm afraid of heights. And then he goes into saying, he's so scared of heights. <laughs> <laughs> he's well, he's intense. I'm just not a very good person. Yeah, that's that's true. He's very intense. Okay, next question. If you could become the bishop of Texas, like Andy Doyle is, and you could be the bishop of all let's restoration movement churches, disciples, Christian church, church of Christ, you're the bishop. Oh, I would clean house. What would your first thing you did once you came in office? I would focus in on there there's just one or two churches that really need to be fixed. Hmm. And I would focus in on this one church in uh, Austin, hmm. specifically. Which one? Could I, and I could I could boss them around, and they'd have to do what I say. Okay. Is that right? Is that what a bishop? I don't think that's how it works. First among equals, right? Yeah. That's what he said. When when Richard Beck was on, and he wrote a book entitled "Stranger God," how much do you think that's influenced because he has a stranger preacher? Uh, such a dumb question. Have you read that book yet? You read it for this podcast, I guess, yes. right? It's a good book, huh? It's like Unclean 101. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, I think his his pop stuff he's doing, I think people need to read it. Dude, I think that's He's a good writer. Yeah. Like I, I mean a, a good popular level writer. Good good at taking stuff and making yeah. it really accessible. Yep. If if you had to finally join the unarmed empire, like Sean Palmer's book is titled, what would be the hardest thing for you to give up? I feel like I'm in the unarmed empire. Mm. And mm. <sighs> Okay. All right. Choosing who my friends right, are. Jonathan, that's good. Rapid fire, we got through it. Um, you really do have a Christmas list, though. I know that about you. What did you ask for this year? For Christmas? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Christmas, my wife and I got a van <laughs> because <laughs> our van broke. Awesome. You know, so we'll be able to drive to Arkansas and things like awesome. that. So what's next year? Um, what is next year? <laughs> uh, what do we have? Oh, okay. So, uh, Oh, the wrap-up or the mailbag. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm doing a mailbag. I just recorded it yesterday. I'll put that one out like the 1st of January. Um, and then uh, we've got... N.T. Wright's got a new book. His people reach out to me. Uh, and so probably maybe February. I don't know if it's going to be end of January or February. Um, I've got one with um, Bob Goff that I'm doing uh, at the Hills Men's Conference. Does he have a new book? Yeah, his, his book's going to come out like in March or something. But I'm doing it cool. at the, uh, like a pre-conference thing at the, uh, the Hills Men's Conference uh, end of January. So that should be on there. And, um, and yeah, should be good. Cool. Well, I hope you have a good Christmas, Luke. This is going to come out after Christmas, right? I think I'm going to... Do you think I should put it out on December 24th, Christmas Eve, or just put it out December 31st? I think we'll, 
Man, I'm... What do you think? Okay. I, people are going to be traveling if they listen to okay. it. Um, you know, I don't... But I don't know. Okay, I'll put it out. Um, we'll put it out Christmas week, and then there'll be like a week off, and then like the January 7th or something like that, we'll put the mail bag up, and then we'll get going. So, Jonathan? Yeah. Merry Christmas. Good Luke. luck with your van. I know you're pretty pumped about that. I am. I, um... I think I'm going to get some new black V-necks, so that should be pretty exciting, some new ones. Y'all look forward to seeing those. Yep. All right, man. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.